Good morning, church. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you've had a a good week, a blessed week. Uh, you're looking forward to a blessed day today, uh, celebrating Labor Day coming up here. Um, thankful for all those who work hard to establish what we uh, what we have, the freedoms we have in this country. Um, I'm gonna just be honest with you guys. Uh, I mean, I'm always honest, but I'm gonna be honest this morning. It's been a tough morning. Um, so I woke up this morning and I woke up to, uh, again, it's not an audible voice and I don't hear the audible voice, but the Lord laid it on my heart. You understand what I'm saying? And basically I woke up to in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. And, uh, I was really challenged by that. And it's not, it's not like the Lord revealed this to me and I'm looking at all these people and I'm looking at oh, false teachers and prosperity gospel teachers. Nah, the Lord said that and it's like, it was a sting to me, to my heart. I don't believe I was being deceived by Satan. I know that I was sharing this with Daniel, uh, you know, before we prayed uh, this morning. But, you know, there's, there's times where uh, I'm short with my kids and I know they're young. And I just, I just get so frustrated and my tone with them isn't the greatest. And this isn't like I'm not up here trying to, you know, just confess. It's not all doom and gloom. I'm just being real with you guys. And the Lord woke me up to that. The love of many will wax cold. And then he led me to Galatians 5.22. What is the fruit of the spirit? And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In that moment, I was like, man, I already struck out. I suck at love. You know, I, 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 you know, and, and it just made me think it made me consider. I, I think Michelle alluded to it this morning. We need to take an introspective look of where we always are with the Lord. You can't just be on autopilot. And you like, I got this. It's good. Like, is it really good? And I'm standing up here as your pastor. And the Lord challenged me this morning. Like the love of many will wax cold. Where is your love keeping? How are you interacting with your wife, with your kids? And then. I don't want to say that the problem compounded, but the Lord gave me an opportunity this morning. I, I come to the church building and, and as, as every week and, you know, get things ready in the building. And last week there was a gentleman here and I didn't share this last week and he didn't speak English. He spoke Spanish and I did my best to communicate to him what this place was and, you know, communicate to him. He's welcome. Come in, you know, um, enjoy Jesus. Uh, he ended up not coming in and he just, you know, sat on the curb. He either got picked up or walked away. And this morning, we saw, I saw a gentleman, and, uh, and he seemed like he wasn't in his right mind. He was kind of where the, the, the air pump is for the tires by the loop. And you could sense, because I asked my wife about it, too, and you could sense that he was trying to come this way. And uh, he stopped. And uh, so we continued on and do what we did, unpacked the car, got things ready. She left to go pick up the donuts with tears and do what they do. And me and Kalos were here doing what we did. And I said to myself, when I'm done setting up, I'll go, I'll go talk to him and you know, as I glanced, walking back and forth, I saw he went from standing over there by the, uh, the pump to he was now at the gas station, the literal gas station pump lying on the ground. So I knew for sure he wasn't in his right mind. But I said, I'm going to do this first and then I'm going to go talk to him. Well, if you would imagine when I was done, he left. And the Lord showed me, you know, a person that was bloodied and beat up on the side of the road. And, you know, the priests and the Levites, the, the, the people that should have known better, that do know better, that should have helped that person. They just walked by him. And I was so convicted. And I was so bummed out because I chose this mechanical stuff. Like, I get it. It's the house of God. You know what I mean? But the reality is there was a need. And I could have been used to meet that need, but I chose to not do it because I thought that that man would have been there. And uh, it just sucks. It's just sad. It's not a uh, the whole moral of the story is this. We need to strike when the iron's hot. When the Lord presents an opportunity before you don't think you got another moment to do it. Do it then. Do it now. You know, um, I just share that with you guys. I hope it's an encouragement. 
It's just the reality that these things, the Lord is always speaking to us. He's always trying to spur us to bring honor and glory to his name in many ways. But are we aware and what are we picking? Amen. <laughs> maybe not the maybe not the ideal way to start a message, but it is what it is. Um, despite that, I am excited for where we are in Scripture this morning. And I am excited that, you know, the Lord, he's a good God and he he, he, he corrects those he loves and he encourages those he loves. So, you know, I don't feel beat up in that sense. It's just, you know what, get back up. Have a short-term memory. Next time, do something right. Uh, We're in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. We're starting a new chapter. Uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 10. This is an exciting portion of Scripture. Uh, it's entitled, Rejoice, Rejoicing in Heaven. So with that, when you get to Revelation chapter 19, uh, if, you can, if you could stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll go ahead and read and we'll pray. We'll get into our message uh, this morning. And it says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Alleluia, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute with, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants once more they cried out alleluia the smoke from her goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped god who was seated on the throne saying amen hallelujah and from the throne came a voice saying praise our god all you his servants for who fear him small and great then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. For I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that you are a merciful, good God. Lord, you desire nothing more than fellowship unhindered with your creation. And thank you that you provide that opportunity through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we get into this portion of Scripture, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a mighty way. Just show us what you desire for us to understand about you and learn today. May we put these things into practice. Lord, may we be encouraged. Lord, that even as we see uh, the great Apostle John, uh, even he made mistakes, Lord, and you uh, gently rebuked him and corrected him, Lord, so that he could know what he should do, Lord. Help us all, Lord, to be moldable and shapeable. May we be the clay and just remain on that wheel and allow you to mold us and shape us according to your will. May we respond to that molding and shaping by how we live and how we act and how we think. Father God, I praise you and I thank you. May you receive all honor and glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, you may be seated. As I said, we today, this morning, we begin chapter 19 in the book of Revelation. And I, and I just pray that your time in this book, uh, however many months we've been spending in this book, I pray that as we've gone through it, that you've gained a better sense of God's heart, his heart for you, his, God bless you, his heart for humanity, how he views people, how he views you. And I pray that your perspective has shifted to be more God-centered and, and that you look at things through the lens of, of how he would have you to see. That you've been growing in the fear of the Lord. God bless you. 
that you've been growing in the fear of the Lord. That's, that's so important. I believe that, that's, that's, that's what woke me up this morning with that, with that verse. The love of many will wax cold. I believe that that was the fear of the Lord, just trying to get my attention and keep me on that, on that pin that it's like it's so important, but that we grow in this fear of the Lord as we spend more quality time with Him each and every day, amen? And that spending the time in God's Word, it's so precious. There's nothing that can replace that time in God's Word, and that, that time in God's Word gives us the strength and the ability to then go out into the world as we go about our lives and, and, and share the love of Jesus with those around us. Last week we wrapped up chapter 18 and, and that was a three-part message and it was entitled The Fall of Babylon and it, all, it talked all about the, the, the one world system and how it's all going to come crashing down one day. Uh, you know, just like, the, the, just like all the civilizations before, how they all crumbled over time. The same will be of this one world system. I pray that you've learned and were reminded of the clear distinctions between followers of Jesus Christ and what that looks like to be a follower of Christ as opposed to those who follow the world system and who are uh, indebted to the world system and live for the world. They may have all these material things and they may prosper in the eyes of the world, but they're hollow in their relationship with God because they've chosen to glorify this world system. There was great sorrow in chapter 18 for all those who worship uh, the world system and not the true and living God. They were broken over the end of this world, the end of this world system, the end of this economic and governmental and religious system. They were broken and hearted by that, but not the genuine believers. The genuine believers rejoiced in the fact that now judgment is coming upon this world and that Jesus is taking his rightful place <clears throat> as Lord over all. And this is where we pick up in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Uh, we have several main points, and the first one is this. Heaven will not be empty, and heaven will not be quiet. The first thing to notice in this opening verse is this. There was a great multitude in heaven, and they were far from quiet. They were far from quiet. Now, we have to consider this when we study the Bible all the time. Um, we have to consider what English words in the Bible mean. We always have to look at how the original meaning was meant and how we interpret it in our language. Remember that the English words that are chosen by translators best describe Hebrew or Greek words. So multitude in one verse could mean a large crowd. It could mean a large group. Sometimes these same verses refer to a great number. Uh, it's like this. Take, for instance, A. 500 can be a great multitude, or instead, uh, 500,000 could be a great multitude. The context of the Scripture bas basically dictates and determines the amount of this multitude. Either way, in our context this morning, there was a large number of people in heaven, and they were loud. Um, I like to think about it like this. I always give football analogies, but maybe I'll give European football analogy this morning think of a stadium that seats like seventy-two thousand. Uh, any soccer fans in here anybody no <laughs> no soccer fans okay well liverpool and manchester united say they were playing a match right you throughout the match you got seventy-two thousand people screaming chanting yelling for their teams right whoever they're for they're rooting they're going crazy i mean they got chants where it's like you hear all of these people in this stadium chanting the same thing and it's it's very uh hypnotic it's it's you get caught up in that emotion of whatever these people are doing same thing at you know uh, football games or baseball games whatever you know you're into sports in that way or, or concerts for that matter but in heaven all those who are in heaven will be cheering on their king the one and true god the one and only savior of the world jesus christ they'll be crying out hallelujah Praise be to God. This is the reality about occupying heaven. This is what will be going on there. In heaven, it's not going to be silent. Many times in church services, people are quiet during songs, through praise and worship. Why? 
I believe there are many reasons. Sometimes uh, you're not led to open your mouth. You just need to soak up what's going on, the praise that's being given to the Lord. I get that. Other times you may be so overwhelmed with tears that you can't even speak. That's me many times. I'm like, I can't even muster up my words. It's just going to sound like a bellow because I'm just, I'm crying. I'm, 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 I'm just in that moment just in awe of what's going on and just so grateful for what the Lord has done to me. And I'm recognizing how wretched I am. And I'm like, Lord, I can't, how can I even sing? You're so good to me. The problem lies when we never are led to open our mouths to worship Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is clear. Luke chapter 6, 45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. If our lives have been truly transformed by Jesus Christ, we will speak up. We will. We will not sit or stand quiet all the time. We won't do that every single time. We will not do that because we will speak up out of what's in the abundance of of our hearts. We will burst into praising God because we can't hold in what's inside of us. In life, when we bump into other people, as has been said, what's inside of us will spill over. What's inside of us will spill over. So it's either going to be love or it's going to be disgust, hate, Anger, frustration, all those things where it's going to be the fruit of the spirit that's going to spill out of us when we bump into people in life, when we interact with those around us. Is praise for the true and living God inside of you? And that's a question you have to answer. Is that truly inside of you? Is that heart to honor and praise the Lord inside of you? You see, Jesus said, if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Rocks that don't have any face, rocks that don't have any limbs, rocks that don't have any mouths will literally cry out and praise the Lord because it's part of his creation. The creation knows who their creator is and the creation will give all honor and glory to their creator. You see, truly, we need a healthy balance of when to speak up and when to be quiet. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit and not merely by our emotions. In our context this morning, clearly it was a time for all in heaven to open their mouths with praise and honor being given to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second main point is this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is very important for us to get a grasp of and understand what's going on here. I believe because we live in a world, we live in a world, we live in a society that walks by sight and not by faith. That's the way our world operates. We operate, this world operates by what they see. And sometimes that bleeds into our Christian life. Even as Christians, like I said, we can struggle with understanding what true blessings actually look like. Because sometimes that walking by sight can bleed into our thought process and our perception of what we think is really going on. Many times people assume that if you have financial wealth, then that means that you are automatically blessed by God. But that's completely false and not biblical at all. Yes, it's true that God wants to prosper his people and God will prosper his people if they are obedient. There's no doubt that that is biblical. But just because somebody has wealth, worldly wealth, does not automatically guarantee that they are blessed of the Lord. You could have all the money in the world and not have the Lord's hand upon your life. You could also be poor by the world's standards and yet be very blessed of the Lord. I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says a blessing actually is. And the most recognizable references to blessings come from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Amen. It shouldn't come from anywhere else other than him. 
he declares that in spite of difficulties of the present time, the promises of God's salvation and the coming kingdom bring a state of happiness and recognize favor with God. Just look at Luke chapter 6, verses 20 and 20 through 22. It tells us clearly right here, and it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spur your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Now, do any of you fall in that category? (laughs) Blessed are you who are poor. Poor what? Financially? No, poor in spirit, who have a contrived heart, who recognize their depravity and say, man, I, like, like the Old Testament sacrifices of those animals, I, I place my hand upon, uh, on those animals and, and the sacrifice goes up and the burnt offering goes up because I recognize that apart from this sacrifice, I am done. And that's how we are with Jesus. I identify fully with Christ because I see my depravity. I can't save myself. I can't do anything right on my own will or my own power. So he says, blessed who you are that are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. If you're poor in spirit this morning, the kingdom of heaven is yours. If you identify with Christ as your only way to be right with God the Father, you're blessed. If you're hungry... <laughs> not merely hungry for, for physical food, but you're hungry for spiritual things. You're hungry for righteousness. He says you shall be satisfied. You're going to be satisfied in who Christ is. Who's weeping now? Who's grieving over things that are going on in their lives, in this world, in their family? The state of spiritual brokenness in the world. He says you weep now for you shall laugh. You will have joy. Blessed are you who are hated. Who's in, who's in here who's being hated? Maybe there's people in your family, they, they despise you for your stance for Jesus. Maybe they don't say it, but their actions show that they are not receiving how you are living. And you are excluded, and they revile you, and they spur you on as evil. Because of Jesus, well, you will be blessed. You see, the culmination of the Scriptures proclaims the end of the curse and the eternal blessedness of the people of God. And this is what we see here. This is what it truly means to be blessed, is to have Jesus, you have peace with him. You identify with him. He's your life. He's your portion. So when we look at blessings in this context, being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb is the highest honor one could receive. I, uh, I'll share this quickly. I've never shared this with any, I don't, I haven't shared this with anybody before. When I was in my drug diversion class the second time for the second DUI, there was an, an elderly lady who was our counselor, who was our teacher. And every Monday I'd have to go in there and I'd have to get my paper signed. And, you know, she was a believer. She shared her testimony to the group, you know, when we first started. And I remember one time I went in there and I believe it was prophetic it was crazy because this lady didn't know me from anybody. And she said, there were words that were spoken to me that I'll never forget. And she said, you're going to be at the table the, uh, of the supper, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that was so interesting to me because at that time, I didn't know what she's talking about. I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? But as, as, as I studied out this, this portion of scripture, and, and again, This is for all (laughs) that have truly received Christ as their salvation and have been uh, saved and been converted and now are living a life apart from the world but are living for the Lord alone. And that's a beautiful thing. And and this woman who didn't know me from anyone had enough insight by the Holy Spirit to, to, to encourage me in that, even though I didn't know what she was talking about. I just thought that that was super cool that... You know, people can see, people see, right? People sense either you're living for the Lord or you're not. The Holy Spirit is not going to lie to someone. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal 
the things that are going on in your life. Maybe not detail to detail, but they'll, the Holy Spirit will give a general assessment to someone and be like, okay, yes, one of ours, come. Or you know what? No, you're not living for me. You're in, you're, you're in a state where you're rebelling still. And that's the only two camps we've fallen in this life. We either are surrendered to Jesus Christ or we're rebelling. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I don't care. You could be a pastor, worship leader. You could profess to be a Christian. But if you're, Michelle alluded to it earlier, if there's not evidence in our lives that we're actually saved, we have to question, am I really saved? Do I really have a relationship with God? And that's like I said, it brings it back to what I started this message with. In the last days, the love of many will wax cold. And I was seriously challenged with that. Where is my love? Where is your love this morning? It should rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and there should be evidence of your love and how you live and how you are affecting people around you. Amen. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a consummation of the union between Christ and his church. That's what it is a picture of. This means we are one with Jesus Christ him in us and us in him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. To be in perfect union with Jesus Christ for all eternity is at the heart of what it truly means to be blessed. You see, so you see how important it is for us to have a proper biblical perspective of what blessings are. The, 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 the monetary prosperity is just a portion. When we get caught up in that, like what a lot of people teach nowadays, that's when you get sucked into things that are false teachings. It's not merely the physical things, the, fear, the physical things that the Lord blesses, like Abraham. He blessed Abraham mightily in, in monetary things, in, in physical, tangible things. But that was to keep the promise of the covenant. And when it happened to Isaac, that was to keep the promise of the covenant so that they knew that this was something real and something tangible, that they were going to have descendants that were going to grow down from generation to generation. But that shouldn't be the driving force of why we do what we do and why we honor God. Um, I heard a great message this morning that encouraged me after I was super challenged by what the Lord had shown me. And it was a message basically about Jacob. And we know all about Jacob. He had all kind of issues. He had all kind of issues. But there's one thing that was really good about his life. He was a faithful man and he was obedient and he worked hard. I mean, Laban, it was a difficult situation. He was swindled as he swindled. He got Leah instead of Rachel. And then he's like, I'm going to work again. And when he left, he didn't want nothing. He just said, I want my, I want my wife, I want my kids. That's it. You know, and, 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 and this is the thing with that. Obedience brings answer to prayer. Because Jacob was obedient, prayers were answered. The Lord spoke to him on the account of his obedience. And even Laban Laban knew, even the demons knew. The demons told Laban, the only reason why you're prospering is because of the obedience of Jacob. And so we see it's so important that we understand that obedience is key to our relationship with the Lord and our obedience unlocks the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. But again, it's not merely the, the physical monetary blessings that he gives to us. It is the real relationship, the unhindered relationship, mar, unmarred from the effects of sin, that we have access to Jesus Christ, that he walks with us. As he told Joshua, I'll be with you wherever you go. He commanded Joshua, don't be afraid, be courageous. He commanded him to do that. He said, as long as you have relationship with me as long as you study the law of Moses which basically translates to as long as you have fellowship with me and my words don't depart from your lips don't depart from your heart everywhere you go anything you touch is going to be blessed you're going to have my favor don't you want that for your life to have favor with God everywhere and anything you do well he tells Joshua just like he tells us don't let his word depart from your lips or your heart and you're going to have favor with man, even your enemies you'll have favor with because God, because you're obedient to the call in your life. Amen. Third main point is this. We are to worship God alone, not false gods, not angels, not people, not objects. We're watching, uh, what is it, the, the captain 
series. Uh, it's about Derek Jeter. Great baseball player. Great baseball player. Uh, great series. You know, unfortunately, we didn't get to see episode one. We tried to record it, but it's only on ESPN Plus. Sucks. It's like a little, it's a way to get you sucked in so you can, you know, subscribe to that and spend more money. I wanted to see his upbringing as a child and, you know, his parents and how all that worked out. But there's interesting little commercials, like a Capital One commercial. And, you know, I get it because it's sports. And, you know, I grew up like that, too, where, you know, the boy basically has an interaction with Derek Jeter. And he, he shows him at the end his baseball card, his rookie baseball card and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you're my idol. You're my idol. And that just struck me because it's like I get where the boy is coming from. But it's misguided. And that's our world. That's how our world is. We have adoration for people and that's okay. But when we start idolizing and worshiping people, like I said, Derek Jeter is a great baseball player, Hall of Fame baseball player. He actually, the way he conducted himself in New York, the way he went about his career and didn't, you know, getting caught up in all kind of stuff. I commend him for that. I don't know if he's saved, but I know that the way he lived his public life, his professional life under that, that microscope being at the, uh, you know, the, the capital of uh, you know, news and all that in New York, he did a great job. But he shouldn't be worshipped. He shouldn't be idolized. And that's what the portion of Scripture is talking about here. We are, not to worship, we are not to worship false gods. We are not to worship any god but the Lord God Almighty. I mean, you look at the Ten Commandments. All the commandments, they, 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 they rest upon the first commandment. Don't have any other god but him. I'm not saying we can keep the commandments perfectly, but he, he points out, if we screw that one up, <laughs> this we're gonna mess we're gonna break all these other ones we're gonna covet we're gonna commit adultery we're gonna we're gonna lie we're gonna cheat and we're gonna do all these bad things because we are, we're putting other gods before our eyes besides the true and living god and we see at the end of portion of this scripture again the apostle john is obviously overwhelmed with joy at seeing the multitudes in heaven rejoicing and praising the lord so much that he fell at the feet of this one angel and began to worship him. But I don't think any of us can be that hard on the Apostle John because we don't have any idea what he was feeling or what he was sensing in that situation. The gravity and the reality of what was going on was probably beyond anything that he had ever seen and for sure anything we've ever seen or experienced. I mean, he's just recognizing, he's seeing the multitude in heaven praising and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, I mean, it was just a, it was a so real experience for him. But I love how the angel corrects him. He tells him, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant along with you and your brothers in Christ. You see, he was corrected and told what he must not do. And again, as I already mentioned, go back to the first commandment. It's already there. Thou shall have no other God before us but him. This is the basis for everything we believe and do in life. If we have other kinds of gods in God's place, we will be blind and confused to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But here is the positive. When we allow the Lord God Almighty to take his rightful place as number one over all the areas of our lives, then and only then will we truly see everything for what it really is. You'll have that revelation. You'll have that discernment. You're going to be like, okay, I get it now. Wow, Lord, this is amazing. Um, I'll share this real quick just because I, I, I was working out last week. And for the first time in my life, it was, it was so strange. It was like I really, I really could sense that, okay, because your soul is your mind, will, and emotions, right? And then you have spirit. But that's why, you're, you're, that's why our spirit has to be joined with the Holy Spirit in order for things to function correctly. <laughs> because our, you know, our, we can't go off of our soul and we can't go off of our spirit alone. But I, I, for the first time in my life, I actually got the sense that I'm a spirit with a body. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is, this is just flesh. This, this is not who I am. Who I am is the eternal person inside of me that you can't see the character the, the, the things that, that, that God is trying to raise up in all of us, that's who we really are. We're not bodies with souls, but so many times we, we fashion so much time and energy into this, into what we see and what we don't see, we neglect. And God is like trying to tell us, 
Turn it around. You have it backwards. You have it wrong. It's not what you see. It's everything you don't see. That's who you are. Your character. And that's what God is trying to drill in all of us. To what? Make us more like the moral image of his son, Jesus Christ. To walk in newness of life. To walk in truth. To walk in spirit. The spirit of God. I just feel the anointing because that is that's all the Lord. That's not me. That's not in my notes. But but the the Lord had to to share that. That's for somebody here today. You're not what you see. You're something greater. You're something deeper inside of you that makes up who you are. Don't let yourself or the world judge you based on what you look like, because that's not who you are. Amen. Revelation 19, verse one through five. Let's get into it. After I heard this. What seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven cried out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted this, the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Exclamation point. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants who fear him, small and great. So again, we see this statement, a great multitude. Remember back in Revelation chapter seven, um, we saw a great multitude saved out of the great tribulation, ready for the end of the world system and the Antichrist's reign on earth to be done with. Here, this great multitude, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, all join in celebrating the fall of the Antichrist. Notice it's all of God's creation. Those who have been created to dwell in heaven and those who were created to walk the earth. And now all together in heaven, they're all praising him all along, all alongside one another. A part of this great multitude those martyred saints who fell at the hands of the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation, they, they cry out for God's righteous judgment. That's in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. And finally here in, in, verse, in chapter eight, uh, 19, their, their prayer is finally answered. And we see it three times, uh, this, this word, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. This wonderful word, is from the Hebrew language. It occurs four times in Revelation chapter 19. But interestingly, nowhere else in the New Testament do we see this word. It belongs here because God's people rejoice without restraint at his victory over Babylon. Again, like I picture uh, just a stadium full of people and how, I mean, people will paint their faces. For, I mean, you see the Raiders out of Las Vegas. Now it's, it sounds weird saying Las Vegas. I'm still Oakland Raiders. That's what they are to me. But when the football Raiders, I mean, you see their get-ups, monkeys, tattoos, I mean, pirates. I mean, they go all out, and they're screaming at the top of their lungs for the football team. I mean, they're belligerent. They are all out. I mean, every fiber in their being is invested in chanting and promoting things for the Raiders when they're at games. Um, But here in heaven, I mean, it's so much far beyond that. So much more than that. Again, this word, Alleluia, is Hebrew for praise the Lord, saying it in the imperative sense. It is an encouragement and an exhortation to praise the Lord. Sometimes we're afraid to say that word. But the reality is we're going to be saying that all the time in heaven. And it's not going to be for show. It's not going to be to be like, I'm so spiritual. I know sometimes it can get twisted and people just start mouthing off and they're doing it for other reasons because they want the applause of men. They want to show how spiritual they are. They want people to, 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 to congratulate them. But that's not what it's for. It's for the Lord alone. We do what we do for an audience of one. We don't do it for the recognition of men and women. And so people can say, oh, you did such a great job. No. We turn that back and say, praise God. We give God glory because he's the one who who gives us the ability and the talents to do whatever it is he calls us to do. But it's such a wonderful word that we should never use it without thinking. (laughs) Our worship should be thoughtful. Our, Our worship should be intentful. 
There, there needs to be a purpose behind it. It shouldn't just be autopilot. The application is this. This goes back to our lives being renewed and transformed in Jesus Christ. You see, if you truly have been converted from death to life, you can't help but praise him. You can't help but doing that. But you see, the danger in this is, is only praising him with our words only. Once again, we truly need inward change that produces outward expressions in our actions and our words. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, it is this supernatural transformation of the renewing of our minds in Jesus Christ that helps us to begin to think and see clearly. It is this clear thinking that leads us to praising the Lord in every area and aspect of our lives. It's not merely just here in a church service where we hear good music, worship music, and we lift our hands, but it's every area of our lives. It's what leads us to love on people and to help people and to be an encouragement to those around us. That is all aspects of praising God. When you're at your job, you know you're working for the Lord before you're working for your employer, right? You understand that, right? You're honoring God before man. That's just a vehicle that the Lord is using, but he's actually wanting worship and praise out of how you live. Not, not cheating on your time card, not talking bad about somebody else at the water cooler, not doing shady things to try to come up in the business, but being honorable, being righteous, being humble, being just, being meek. These are all things that the Lord is looking to develop in us. And that's all an aspect of praising and worshiping God. You see, it goes far, so far beyond. And we love the music. It's great. But it goes so far beyond that. It goes so far beyond that. It goes so far beyond the preaching and the teaching of the word. It's actually the application of the word in your life. The principles being lived out. Again, once again, love is a verb. It's an action word. It's not something that just sits stagnant. Love is not being huddled up in a corner in a Christian circle and never doing anything else other than hanging out with Christians. Love is I'm reaching out to whoever's in my sphere of influence and I'm going to speak on behalf of the Lord God Almighty because he goes before me and he's going to give me the victory. He's going to get honor and glory from me sharing the love of Jesus to those around me. Amen. Think about it this way. If we have truly put on the new man who is Christ Jesus, how can we not ever praise him for who he is? You'll be in your bathroom getting ready and all of a sudden you just bust out. Has anybody ever done that? Am I the only one who just bust out in the middle of nowhere? I'm just with my kids and I just bust out. They're like, what are you doing? I'm praising the Lord. I'm praising the Lord. I'm grateful for the fact that the Lord has has blessed me and has kept me and continues to walk before me. And I can't contain it. I can't contain it. You just go tell someone I love you. You know, I'm telling people at my work, I love you. I appreciate you, bro. God bless you. And they're like, what? Fool? What's this fool talking about? But it's, but it's like you can't contain it because it's, it's built up in you. You know, you can't contain it because it's bursting out of you. It's an overflow of your relationship with the Lord. It's an overflow of him in you. And you can't contain that. It bursts forth. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city or house divided it against itself will stand. Now, I understand. <laughs> we know what the context of that. Even though Jesus was addressing the false claims of him using demonic powers to cast out unclean spirits out of people, this same principle still can be applied to believers as well. You see, if we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we will not contradict the overriding force living inside of us. We can't. We can't because the Holy Spirit is living in us. If we do, what does that mean? It produces grief and it grieves the Holy Spirit. You guys are sensible people. You understand what I'm saying, right? That's what's going on. So we can't, a house divided amongst itself can't stand. So if we're walking in contrary to the things of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be all kind of tension and messed up thing. And that's why I was messed up when I didn't do what I should have did this morning with that man who was lying on the ground. Because the Holy Spirit was like, go, go to him. 
And I didn't do it. I did this instead. And, you know, it just, again, but that's neither here nor there, but that's just an example. We need to walk in unison with the Holy Spirit. Amen. For true and righteous are his judgments. This section really is the climax of uh, the last chapter, chapter 18. In Revelation 18, Babylon's followers, they mourned the fall of Babylon, but here God's people celebrated. They're like, man, I'm so grateful that this crummy system fell. It's trash and it deserves to be gone. And I'm so grateful that, Lord, you're taking your rightful place. This is your land. This is your earth that you created. Babylon, Satan does not have the authority to claim hold of it like the way that they try to. Next we see he, ha- he, has, uh, he has judged the great prostitute. He has avenged on her blood of his servants shed by her. Here the focus of worship is on the great works of God, specifically his work of righteous judgment. You see, because those who worship Satan refuse to repent of their wickedness, it is only just and fair that they be destroyed. Once again, this is not people who are on the fence. This is people who say, I I just, I don't care about Jesus. I'm going to walk my own way. It's for those people that have already uh, agreed to having a debased mind and they, they're like, I want to walk in my debasement. Well, then, you know, that's destruction is going to befall you if you choose to ignore the gospel and ignore the great gift of salvation that's given by Jesus Christ alone. But this is a judgment that comes from God. This is not man's judgment. This statement that her smoke ascends forever means that the Lord's judgment is final. Like there's no going back. Like there's no, there is no, I can get another chance. Like it's over. You've had your chances. It's done. The world system is over. There will never be another destination for those who uphold devotion to Babylon other than eternal darkness and torment. They'll just be in hell. That's it because they have chosen. You see, God sends no man or woman to hell. We go to hell out of our own volition, out of our own choice, because again, we decide in our hearts that I refuse Jesus Christ, so we send ourselves to hell. And that's an unfortunate thing because it doesn't have to be that way. We have the free gift available. All we have to do is humble ourselves and receive it. And then the supernatural act begins of sanctification. Then a voice came from the throne. The voice from the throne of God might be Jesus, but more likely it is the voice of one of the angels that serve as the throne of God, or serve at, excuse me, the throne of God. All right, let's look at this next portion of scripture uh, before we wrap it up, six through nine. And it says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. God bless you. Grown man sneeze. <laughs> I think like a pirate on a ship. <laughs> Guarding a <the> treasure. <laughs> All right, we see this statement, the voice of the great multitude and the sound of many waters, right? Sound of mighty thundering. The height of praise on earth, you know, uh, I think back where I see, uh, I've seen like vi- uh, videos of, uh, you know, Billy Graham and crusades and just, you know, droves of people, just thousands of people praising the Lord. That's such a beautiful thing, right? But even that, at the height of praise on earth, it's only a dim shadow of what these verses really describe. It's, I can't even wrap my mind around it because I, 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 can't, I can't really picture how great it's going to be, but it's going to supersede anything we've ever seen. At this point, Revelation approaches, again, the consummation of God's plan for all history. So we also come to the summit of praise, the apex of this praise and worship of the Lord. Once again, we see the importance of being led by the Holy Spirit in all we do and all we say. This is obviously an example of loud, enthusiastic praise to the Lord. That's important. While it is certainly possible to make praise and worship a self-indulgent focus, and that's like when people are doing it for the wrong reasons, and it's based out of feelings, and it's an expression of our flesh, 
At the same time, there's nothing wrong with loud, enthusiastic praise. And again, by the same token, there's something precious and irreplaceable about quiet times alone with God. That's very important as well. We need all of these aspects of of worship to the Lord. There's also something absolutely great about a large number of Christians worshiping God with sincere enthusiasm. You know, I'm going to just say this. What I miss a lot is I miss the men's retreats. I miss, I miss going up to Mount Hermon or going up to Watsonville and just being around a gang of men. There's something about being around a bunch of men that, are, that have one focus and it's to praise and honor and worship the Lord. Some, there's strength there. It's just crazy. It's, I guess I, yeah, I feel like a man. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I feel like a godly man amongst a bunch of men. I really miss that. I, I, I just pray that there's some way that, you know, we can get connected or involved or, you know, do something like that again. Because, you know, it's been it's been quite some time. But, you know, worship is super important. But I found this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I think it's it's poignant enough to share. And it says, we ought not to worship God in a half hearted sort of way as if it were now our duty to bless God. But we felt it to be a weary business and we would get through it as quickly as we possibly could and have be done with it. And the sooner the better. No, no, he says, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Come, my heart, wake up and summon all the powers which wait upon thee. Mechanical worship is easy but worthless. Come, rouse yourself, my brother. Rouse thyself, O my own soul. And the application is this. All Christians, we should do this joyfully but especially the work of praise and worshiping the Lord. We shouldn't enter into a time of praise and worship of God in haste or in quickness, meaning rushing into it without any thought or consideration of what we are coming to, who we are coming to, and and being so quick about it that we are finished before we even get started. You see, I'm trying to teach this to my my kids. My son's like, when it's time to pray for dinner, he's like, Thank you for this meal. Jesus Christ's name, amen. I'm like, you got to slow down, bro. Why why are you rushing? You don't need to rush. You know, gather yourself. Think about who you're talking to. What are you grateful for? And then that. And again, it's not in a mechanical way, but but it's like you don't need to rush. And even us as adults, there's been many times where, you know, we've all had times in a service, right, where our minds are just wandering. Maybe your mind is wandering right now and you're like, man, I'm thinking all kind of other things than what you're talking about. We're thinking about everything else other than what's being sung or what's being said. You see, this is where our discernment needs to kick in to gear. We need to be able to recognize when, when our minds are drifting and then ask the Lord to help get us back on track. But if we are on autopilot, then we will have a weak experience of praising and worshiping God. That's just the truth. Next, we see the statement, the marriage of the lamb has come. One reason this great multitude is so filled with praise is because the time has come for the lamb of God to be joined with his people in a union so close that it can only be compared to the marriage of a man and a woman. Right. We know that the man and the woman, they leave their father and mother. They become one flesh. We understand that. The marriage of the Lamb, who is the Messiah, is a picture used frequently throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, Israel is presented as God's wife, who is often unfaithful. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 tell us, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Also, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 tells us, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. In the New Testament, the church is presented as the fiancé, if you will, of Jesus, waiting for this day to be married. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 tells us, For I feel a divine jealousy. This is Paul talking. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And also, if you look it up, I won't read it for the sake of time. But Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 down through 32. Now, again, this whole idea of 
marriage in biblical times and what you know marriage looked like as far as leading up to it. Uh, the marriage involved two major events, the betrothal and the wedding. Uh, they were normally separated by a period of time during which two individuals were considered husband and wife, and they were under the obligations of, of, of faithfulness. The wedding, the wedding began with a procession, procession excuse me, to the bride's house, which was followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. By analogy now, going back to where we're at in our text this morning, the church brought to Christ by faith now awaits the second coming of Jesus Christ when the heavenly groom will come for his bride and return to heaven for the marriage feast which lasts throughout eternity. Next statement that we see, and his wife has made herself ready. This is a question that we have to ask ourselves. What are we doing today to make ourselves ready for this wedding? There is much for us to do, but ultimately it is a work done by God in us. But what are we doing to prepare for this wedding feast with the Lamb? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 down through 27 tells us, Husbands, we all know this, this portion of scripture, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The point is emphasized when John notes, to her it was granted to be arrayed or clothed in fine linen, clean and bright. The application is this. In the perfect union with Jesus Christ, his people, his church, will be clean and bright before him. Clean reflects purity and faithfulness. The character of the new Jerusalem, bright, is the color of radiant whiteness that depicts glorification. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You see, we as believers are created for divinely prepared good works. That's why you're saved. That's another aspect of why you're saved and you're still here on the earth to glorify God through good works, the things that you do, how you live your life, how I live my life. These righteousness, these righteous acts are what fill the hope chest, if you will, of the bride of Jesus Christ. This is what spurs us on. We look back and see, man, Lord, this is what you've done through my life. I want to continue to be engaged with you to move forward because I know that you're doing a work in and through me that's so more than just me, but you're influencing other people around me by what you're doing in my life. I just mentioned this verse uh, when Paul spoke to, of his desire that Christians would be presented before the Lord uh, pure, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Now, this should be the desire of every Christian worker, what we do, why we do what we do for the Lord. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus himself eagerly anticipated this marriage supper. He spoke longingly of the day when he would drink of the fruit of the vine again with his disciples in the kingdom. Matthew 26 verse 29 tells us clearly, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. That's a beautiful thing. In Jewish culture, the marriage supper was the best banquet party anyone knew. It always was an occasion for great joy and celebration. According to the, 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 the rabbi's teachings, the obedience to the commandments were suspended during a wedding celebration if obeying a commandment might lessen the joy of the occasion. That's crazy when you think about that because they were so rigid about keeping the, their laws that they said, you know what, we'll put this on hold so we can party it up <laughs> and, and love on each other and be in, just in, enthralled with you know, this, this new, uh, newlywed couple. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's, that's kind of cool because it even just gives a glimpse that you know, even in the Jewish culture, it's not as rigid as one would think. It's just not all that. Like there's room for there's room for God to, to, to move. The application is this. On that day, everyone will see the church for what she really is, the precious bride of Jesus Christ. Nowadays the church is being marred. 
the, the church is being uh, in some form or fashion, not the, not the fulfillment of prophecy, like finally being desecrated, but uh, you see that the church is being ran through the mud. The, 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 the reputation of the church, it's, 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 it's being marred. And then you have people standing in the pulpit and professing Christ that are not making it any better. They're making it worse because they're not walking with the Lord and they're spreading falsehood. So we see this going on. But that day when the consummation of Jesus Christ and the church are going to come together, it's going to be a precious time because the world will finally see the church for what the church really is, the precious bride of Jesus Christ. Think of Cinderella. This is probably where they got the inspiration for that story. You know, all those old stories, they, they have bits and pieces of the Bible influenced in them, but then they just have man's ways that it just gets all crazy and twisted. But Cinderella, you know, uh, the bride of Christ, the church, in a way now sits among the ashes of this fallen world. She is like her Lord, des- despised and rejected of men. But when her Lord appears, she will appear also. In his glorious manifestation, she will shine as the sun in the kingdom of God the Father. And lastly, in this portion of scripture, we see these are the true sayings of God. This is a necessary note of assurance to us. This is supposed to enthrall us and push us on to to, to trust in the Lord and continue to hold on. This anticipation of this bringing together of the church in Jesus Christ will take place And though it seems too good to be true, it will happen. That's like people in Noah's day. We'd never seen rain. Why are you building this big boat? It's a joke. And then what happened? Everyone was going about life like it was. And then all of a sudden the rain came and the floods came. And those who didn't believe got washed away. Just like uh, Moses in, in the wilderness. And God told him, make this bronze serpent and whoever is messed up if they have faith and they look at this serpent they're going to be healed and there was many that said i'm not looking at that thing how's that going to heal me they all died and the ones who were obedient said i don't understand it but you telling me god said do that and i'm gonna live they did it and they lived you see so we have to have faith that god is going to come through even though we don't know the timetable and we can't necessarily see what's going on detail by detail We do have the revelation of the Word of God, which is so important. Don't ever lose this. Don't ever lose ingesting this in your life daily because that's how you know the will of God for your life is the revelation of God through His written Word. Not through some signs and wonder. Not through some fool telling you this is what God said. You get in the Word yourself and He will reveal Himself to you in such a way that you're just going to want more and more of it. Amen? Last verse, verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet. This is John. This is speaking of the apostle John to this angel. I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. Exclamation point. You know, the angel was serious about it. It wasn't a comma. It wasn't a period. It was an exclamation point. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Capital G. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, so we see the statement that he fell at his feet to worship him. Why would such a godly man like John make such an uncharacteristic decision like this? Most likely, it was probably because he was beside himself with excitement over the glorious consummation of Christ and his bride. And and, and we see the statement from this angel. It says, see that you don't do that. This is very straightforward. He didn't mince words. He said, don't do that. That's wrong. Do not worship. He's like, dude, don't get me annihilated. (laughs) I don't want the wrath of God falling on me. Don't worship me, man. Worship God alone. The application is this. No created being should be worshipped. That's it. No no created being should be worshipped. It's funny because even in the way we use words, you know, like, oh, I love that. Do you really love that chocolate chip cookie? (laughs) You don't love it. I know what you mean. Oh, I love the Niners. Do you really love the Niners? I know what you mean. I love that jacket. I know what you mean, but do you really do you really love it? Love love is reserved for God and for people, not for things, you know. I get animals. I mean, you know, I get it. You know, you got your favorite dog or whatever, what have you. Yeah, you know, you're supposed to steward your animals the right way. But, but I'm talking about, you know, things that aren't alive. You know, it's, it's not, we, we have to, what, how are we using words and how are we, how are we being, uh, allowing words to shape our thought process? 
And again, no created being should be worshipped. This is in contrast to Jesus who receives the worship of the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And of men, Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, uh, also Matthew chapter 14 Verse 33 talks about that, how men worship God alone. And John chapter 9, verse 38, those are all verses that talk about how men should worship God alone. The angel goes on to say, I'm your fellow servant. And um, as Isaiah and Michelle come up, I'm wrapping it up with this last two points. There are important differences between humans and angels, but both are servants of the same Lord. We, we all worship God together in that sense. We are all in one accord in understanding who Jesus Christ is. And lastly, we see here, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, that word prophecy is, especially nowadays, is super getting thrown around. And people are like, I'm having a prophecy about this. I'm prophesying about that. This has happened. This has happened. The end of the world has happened in 2024. Oh, I know that this has happened. And it's like, you know what? That's not what the Bible's talking about. Those people are fanatical and they're going off of visions that are probably more associated with demonology than anything else. Because we know the ultimate authority is scripture itself. The true spirit of prophecy always points people to Jesus Christ alone. That's it. That is true prophecy. Speaking of Christ the Lord. Any teaching of prophecy that takes our minds and our hearts away from him is not being properly communicated. This means that prophecy at its core is designed to reveal the beauty and loveliness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the truth. May we be those who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and in all righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, just thank you for your direction. Thank you for your guidance. Lord, as your word has gone forth, we know that it's going to produce. Lord, may you produce in us your will for our lives. May your righteousness fill us, Lord. We have no righteousness of our own. May we cling to you. May we look to you for all of our hope. And may you do that work in us that only you can do. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.